We are now going to go through our uh, final session here where we are going to study and to let God uh, reveal unto our hearts some things related to his word, especially on this topic of uh, eating and drinking to his glory. You'll find that this, this is a very important thing to understand because we are trying to enter into the experience of reformation, but we want to do it in God's order. And we're seeing that God has an order. Are we seeing that? God has an order. So therefore, reformation is not just something abstract that we just begin at any point that we want. Reformation is something that God says there's an order to this experience. All of what we do, remember we saw that revival and reformation comes through the ministration of the Holy Spirit, yes? So therefore, we cannot do anything by might or by power, but only by God's Spirit. We need His Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to give us power, so that we may do anything God has called us to do. And I want to make this clear. There is no fruit or vegetable or grain or nut, and certainly not any meat, that you can eat that will make you holy. I want to make that blazingly clear. Do you understand that? Eve ate the healthiest fruit that has ever touched planet Earth and that action brought sin into the world. So there's no organic, there is no non-GMO item, I don't care what it is, there's no fruit, grain, nut, or vegetable that you and I can eat that can bring Salvation. You get that? All of these things that we are discussing, dress, diet, country living, whatever the topic may be, all of this is simply an expression of the salvation we have already received. In James 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, I will show you my faith by my works. You never know an apple tree until you see apples grow off of it. You never know a peach tree until you see peaches grow off of it. And you never know God's trees of righteousness until you see right doing come out of the person's life. Do you follow that? So therefore, we are not saying that there's any food items that individuals can eat or drink. There's nothing that a person can do that makes them righteous, but our eating, drinking, and doing habits testifies to Christ our righteousness truly being within us. Do you understand that? Amen. All right. Well, then with that being said, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to go through phase two of this study. We pray that your blessings will be upon us at this time and that you will again open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You will find that the Bible shows us, you'll remember that God told us something in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. God said, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Do all to the glory of God. Now, how does a person eat to the glory of God? The Bible clearly says whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do you do that? Say again. Following the counsel? Is that what I heard? Okay. Um, what is the counsel? I mean, you know, really, how, how would you, especially, especially if you were to do it just from the Bible? 
eating more simple. So somebody says, this is a simple glass of wine that I'm just going to go ahead and sip it. And, you know, no problem. This is a simple piece of pork. I don't have a lot of seasoning on it. Uh, you know, it's not extravagantly put together. Is that, you get, you get what I'm saying? So in other words, I want you to give an answer, but I want you to make sure that your answer uh, empowers the person to stay biblical. So that way they don't go above or, or beneath what the scripture says. You get that? My sister. Eat for strength and not for drunkenness. The, the whole world will tell you that a little brandy can strengthen your body when you're going through sickness. Say again? No, they said a little. They said moderately, a little. You get that? So therefore, some people, and you know how it is, bro. some people tell you you got to eat some fish. That's where you get your protein. That'll strengthen you. You get what I'm saying? So therefore, there has to be something that breaks that line for us to help us clearly understand, all right, how do I practically eat and drink to the glory of God? If you were sitting down, this is something that I presented at a Baptist church. And you know I couldn't use the spirit of prophecy. You understand that? So, in other words, you have a tremendous work that God has set before you. You got to help the seven-day Adventists come up to the light, but then you also have to help the non-Adventists come up to the light. So you're going to find yourselves doing the work very similar to John the Baptist, where you're reaching those within and those without. This cannot be done by might or by power, only by God's spirit. So therefore, we need tremendous wisdom to know how do I take the instructions of God's word and make it practical. We'll take one more hand. My brother. Go back to the original diet, which was fruits, grains, nuts, no vegetables. So are we telling people today that they need to eat fruits, grains, nuts, and no vegetables? That was the original diet. But then he said what? Yeah, but he said the herb of the field after sin. That's not the original diet. You get that? So, so that's all we're saying is that you want to be able to compile it so that way it, 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 it can be consistent throughout the Bible. You get that? All right. Let's consider this. Would you agree that if you're going to show somebody how to eat and drink to God's glory, doesn't it make sense to first define what is glory? Why don't you learn to define that word first? And if we learn to define the word glory, then it should be easier for us to know how to eat and drink to it. Does that make sense? Amen. All right, so watch this. What we're going to do now is deal with the question, what is the glory of God? We, we're told we're supposed to eat to the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? If we can understand what the glory of God is, then I believe we can intelligently know how to eat and drink to it. Let's notice what the Bible says. In Exodus 33 and verse 18, the Bible says, and I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now, who's talking? So Moses wants to see what? He wants to see God's glory. He wants to see God's glory. Now, notice how God responds to him in verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Question, what did we just learn? Beautiful. The glory of God, the goodness of God, the name of God, same thing. They're having a conversation. Moses is saying, Lord, show me your glory. God responds, I will show you my goodness and proclaim my name. It's like me going to any of you here and saying, do me a favor, show me your car. And you say, no problem, I'll show you my Toyota Camry. Are we talking about the same thing? Yes. 
but did we use different terms? So Moses is asking God, show me your glory. God says, I will show you my goodness and proclaim my name. So we have learned that the glory of God, the goodness of God, and the name of God are synonymous. Now watch this. Did God show his glory? Did he proclaim his name? Where did he do that? Excellent. Excellent. Exodus 34. This is after Sinai now. Exodus 34. Watch this now. In Exodus 34, 5 through 7, observe. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Question, what did God show Moses? His character. He showed unto Moses his character. You want to see my glory? I'm gracious. You want to see my glory? I'm long-suffering. You want to see my glory? I am merciful. You want to see my glory? I'm abundant in goodness and truth. God was revealing his character. Now, as a seven-day Adventist sideline, write down faith that I live by, page 84. Faith that I live by, page 84, Ellen White says, God revealed his character to Moses. What you just did is you identified the same point straight with the Bible. You see that? All right. Now, watch this. Here it is that the Bible shows us that it's God's character. So whatsoever I eat, whatsoever I drink, it should reproduce God's character in me. That's eating and drinking to the glory of God. Whatever I eat, whatever I drink, it should reproduce God's character in me. Is that biblical? That's biblical. That's biblical. Now, let's go on. Next question we're going to ask is, since the glory of God is his character, how practically do we eat and drink to it? You think that's a logical question? All right, well, let's look at this. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the attributes of God's character. Now, these verses you can write down. I'll go ahead and explain it. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, God says, I present before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And then he says, choose life. So what does God want us to choose? Life. Now in verse 20, God goes on to say, I am your life. So why did God tell us to choose life? Because he is our life. Now, in John 14, 6, you ought to know that text very well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 11 and verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So one of the things we see as an attribute of God's character is that he is life. So whatsoever I eat or drink, brothers and sisters, it should reproduce life in me, not death. See how simple that is? Whatever you eat and whatever you drink, it should reproduce life in you. That means that when you go to the grocery store and when you go ahead and buy something that has high fructose corn syrup or something like that, you know that, well, that's something that's going to debilitate my immune system. And God told me to eat for strength and not for drunkenness. Psalms 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. So, whatever I drink, it should strengthen my body. If drinking Sprite 
Coca-Cola, 7-Up, or anything like that that has high fructose corn syrup in it, I know that's going to weaken my immune system. And God says that he is strength, so whatever I put into my system should strengthen my body. So Sprite, I'm sorry, back on the shelf. You get that? You see how simple that is? So you can literally go grocery shopping based on the understanding of this verse. You remember when God says, I am not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God says, I'm not the author of confusion, but of peace. So whatever I eat or drink, it should not put my body in a state of confusion. But it should keep my body at a peaceful state. So therefore, when I drink coffee and it has caffeine, which can cause my heart to get into a confused state that it begins to palpitate, I can say that this thing with caffeine in it is not to the glory of God back on the shelf. But if we're going to put the coffee back, then that means you got to put the chocolate back. Is that right? You get that? So you'll find that you, brothers and sisters, you can have a field day with this study because basically what you're going to do now is you're going to study God's character. You're going to study everything that God says about himself. And everything that God says about himself, whatever you eat or drink or do, you want to make sure that everything is in harmony with the attributes of God's character. When you do that, that's how you practically can eat and drink to the glory of God. When I get water, I know that water, one of the best things that water does for my body outside of hydrating it, of course, is water is also working as a wonderful cleansing agent. Is that right? Does God believe in cleansing? Oh, you better believe he does. In fact, you'll find that God has even fruits that he uses to do cleansing. You know one of the best fruits God uses to do cleansing? Lemons. It's amazing. Lemons have a wonderful cleansing effect. Isn't that a beautiful thing? My name is Dwayne Lemon. Lemon has serious cleansing effect. <laughs> but you get the point, brethren? You see how you can, you can literally just start looking at the attributes of God's character, his works, the ways that he does it, all these things. When you eat broccoli, when you eat anything that is of the, uh, you know, plants and fruits and grains and nuts and so on, we know these things are introducing life into our system. It's introducing strength into our system. It's not killing us. So therefore, we can take this principle and we can begin to build on it. You get that? So now we understand more practically what it is to eat and drink to the glory of God. Now I want to show you something. When we consider eating and drinking to the glory of God, always remember that God designed that the food would be our medicine. When you read in Psalms, the 104th division in verse 14, it says he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb, the plant kingdom, for the service of man. The word service means to minister. God gave us the herbs to serve man to minister to man, to be like medicine for man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Now, when God gave these things, you would understand that this is why God eventually called us off of meat. Most people don't even know why God allowed us to eat meat. In Councils on Diets and Foods, page 373, paragraph 3, we are told that God allowed man to consume flesh to shorten his lifespan. God gave man flesh, not because he couldn't figure out what to do, because there was no more vegetation. How long did it take God to make vegetation? One day. One day. God could have easily have made vegetation one day. But God allowed man to partake of flesh to shorten his lifespan. 
And this is why when you look at this chart, which is a comparison of the 10 generations before and after the flood, look at it. You can see this is true. Because notice, before eating flesh, Adam, 930. Seth, 912. Enos, 905. Canaan, 910. Mahalaniel, 895. Jared, 962. Enoch, 365, and that's only because he never died. Methuselah, 969. Lamech, 777. Noah, 950. Mankind before eating flesh. Once man began to eat flesh, notice what happened. Shem, 600. Arphaxad, 438. Selah, 433. Eber, 464. Peleg, 239. That's a big jump. Reu, 239. Serub, 239. Nahor, 148. Terah, 205, Abraham, 175. Once man began to consume flesh, it started to shorten their lifespan. It was only in the 1960s that medical science started to find this out. Medical science started saying, hey, did you know that the consumption of flesh actually drains vitality from the human's machinery, the human system? Science is always late. But nevertheless, we're thankful that science helps to even show that these things are true. My prayer is that you believe Jesus before you believe Barabbas. Now watch this. When you look at Psalms 119th division, verse 96, we know that God's commandments are exceeding broad, yes? So therefore, when we look at times to eat, you remember in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1, the Bible says that there's a time for everything under the sun. Is that right? So is there a time to eat then? Is that something we do under the sun? So therefore, if there's a time to eat and a time to drink, then brothers and sisters, what that would mean is that we're going to need to understand something that all the Hebrew children understood and all seven-day Adventists were supposed to understand. Physiology. In Psalm 139, 14, you remember that David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Now, how is he going to say that? You know why he said that? Because he understood physiology. When you read the book Education, page 195, Education, page 195 says that every individual, it says that the understanding of physiology should be the basis for all lines of education. Did you hear that? That's from the book Education, page 195. It says the understanding of physiology should be the basis for all lines of education. Beginning tomorrow, we're going to go back up to San Diego and we're going to teach our students the gospel through physiology. We're going to look at the body in a whole different way. We're going to understand something about those cells and everything else in the human machinery, and you'd be amazed at how the cells, brothers and sisters, tells a whole story about the gospel. It's incredible. Physiology. Now, if we understand physiology, then we would know that when you finish eating a meal, that you need to wait two hours before you go ahead and introduce any liquids into the system. So that, this, this is the concept when we talk about two hours after a meal or half an hour before the meal, the whole eating and drinking principle. This is where we get these things from. It's from an understanding of physiology, which comes from an understanding of the Bible that God says everything under the sun has a time for it to be done, and eating and drinking is something we do under the sun. Going to bed is something we do under the sun. So there's times to do this. Exercising, that's something we do under the sun. You don't exercise immediately after a meal. 
Your belly needs that blood to help break down that food. But if you start doing curls and lifts and all this other stuff, your biceps and your pectorals and so on is going to need that blood to repair the muscle that you just stressed. Sometimes we go around having meetings directly after a meal. I hate preaching when people just finish eating. Can't stand it, because I'm always in the midst of a great controversy. Your belly needs blood so it can digest. Your brain needs blood so it can think. And the belly typically wins. And that's why folks start doing this when they're sitting in a meeting. They just, they just start dying. They just, they, they're gone. Their brain is gone. The belly's winning. The belly says, I need that blood. So you, you get it? There's, there's times for everything. So therefore, we learned that from the Bible. Amounts to eat. In Proverbs 24, 13... It says, eat thou honey because it's good. So I can eat honey because it's good. That's another reason why you're not vegans. Vegans don't like to eat honey. They say you're damaging the bee kingdom. I eat honey because God said it was good. Now, the Bible says, eat thou honey because it's good in Proverbs 24, 13. But in Proverbs 25, 16, it says, hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit. So even that which is good needs to be eaten judiciously. You get that? So true moderation is not this weird worldly idea that once we know it is bad, that we just say, well, I'll just have a little bit of it. God teaches us that if it's bad, leave it alone. If it's good, eat it judiciously. That's God's principle of moderation. Only eat good things judiciously. Don't eat good and bad together and all this other stuff. That's not biblical moderation. Biblical moderation says eat it if God says it's good. Drink it if God says it's good. And then when you do it, do it judiciously. Soy is good, but it's not meant to be eaten every day. That's why some people have what we call a dog food diet. A dog food diet is eating the same thing every day. A dog never gets up and says, oh, today I'll have kibbles and bits, tomorrow I'll have puppy chow. And the dogs don't do that. Dogs eat the same kibbles and bits every day, every day, every day, every day. That's a dog food diet. Some of us do the same thing. We eat the same foods every day, and then we wonder why our bodies begin to have allergic reactions. It's a lot of times because we're doing an overload on our system. Are you following? We learned that principle from the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Did you know the Bible's the best health book in the market? And of course, we know quality of food. Eat for strength, Ecclesiastes 10, 17. Eat for strength, not for drunkenness. Whatever food you eat, eat it because you know it's going to strengthen your body, not weaken it. All these are biblical principles that we learn about eating and drinking habits. Isn't that amazing? So therefore, God wants us to understand that when it comes to eating and drinking to his glory, these are all principles that are encased within it so that we can understand. Now, this is how you do the gospel of health. Because what happens is you're actually using scripture to explain scientific facts. But the people are seeing my word. I never knew the Bible talked about that. You know, we did an interview with all these people. We went to a Baptist church that had about 4,000 members. And, we, and at one point, we started to interview some of the people. Not the whole 4,000 came to the classes. We had a great number come. And they came to the classes. And when we finished with that classes, yes, we saw people lose 25 pounds. Yes, people who had high blood pressure didn't have it anymore. Yes, there were people who had diabetes. They didn't have it anymore. But even sweeter than that, the people were saying, you know what? I never knew that what I do physically affects me spiritually. 
They said, we never knew that what I do spiritually affects me physically. They said, we never knew that the word of God teaches us that there are laws that we must obey. And as they saw the laws of their beings that they must be obedient with, the present truth books that we left in their home reveals to them the laws of God that they must be obedient with. It's a science to this thing, brothers and sisters. And so you'll find now that when God made man, remember when he made man, he said, man, he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You remember that? Now, because of this fact that man came out of the dust of the ground, we learn then that all the elements from the dust is actually found in man. Did you know that? All right. So therefore, magnesium, phosphorus, calcium, potassium, sodium, iron, iodine, chlorine, sulfur, etc. All of these things are actually in the ground upon which man came from. Now, you believe this to be true, don't you? I do. So let me ask you a question. Why do we waste so much money on potlucks on Sabbath? I mean, man, we could get a spoon, a bowl, and we could just go to the nearest California dirt spot and just go ahead, just start pouring dirt in the bowl, eat dirt. Everybody gets a bowl of dirt. Y'all laughing, but I'm dead serious. Hey, if what our bodies need is in the soil, then why are we wasting our time with all these veggie links and everything else? Why don't you, that, that costs money, brothers and sisters. We're in a recession. Why can't we use, why can't we just make bowls of dirt for everybody? Big bowl, small bowl, whatever version you want, and you just eat it up and no problem. Why is it that we don't do that? Talk to me, brethren. Why, why is it that we don't do it? Wrong package? Okay, wrong package. I need some more explanation. Bacteria? Mm. Yeah. You can get good soil. You can treat it right. Get all the bacteria out. Oh, not the right proportion. In other words, not enough of it? The components are not in the right proportion. Okay, can I help you? The reason we will not eat bowls of dirt is because it is true that the soil holds many of those elements that our bodies need. But the problem is, is that the soil is in what's called an inorganic state, which means that it cannot be properly broken down inside of our system to give our body what it needs. Do you agree? Absolutely. Now, what that means then is that the soil must come in contact with the root system. And then when it comes in contact with the root system, now it's able to go through that root system and it goes through a conversion process. And then when it goes through a conversion process, it goes from inorganic to organic and now it's able to produce fruit. And that's how you and I can eat it because now it can bless the body. You follow that? Okay. Let's try it one more time. The soil is inorganic, which means it can't benefit the body. But in order for the inorganic soil to benefit the body, it must first come in contact with the root system. When it comes in contact with a root system, the soil goes through a conversion process. And when it goes through a conversion process, it changes from inorganic to organic. And now it can produce fruit that can benefit the body. 
You got that? I don't think you got that. Jesus told the parable of the sower. And when he told the parable of the sower, Jesus equated the human heart to soil. The human heart in its natural state cannot benefit the body, the church. Therefore, the human heart soil must come in contact with the root and offspring of David. And when that inorganic, non-beneficial human heart soil comes in contact with the root and offspring of David, the human heart soil goes through a conversion process. And when the human heart soil goes through a conversion process, now that human heart soil is able to bear fruit. And they can now benefit the body of Christ. Don't tell me that you can't learn lessons of righteousness by faith through gardening. God wanted to show us these things from the soil, brothers and sisters. And that's why one of the greatest tragedies, that's why we're told the fundamentals of true education, the ABCs of true education was farming. Every Seventh-day Adventist school was supposed to make sure that the students learned that. We are told in the book Abundant Health, a food may be defined as any substance which, when absorbed into the blood, will nourish the tissue, repair waste, and furnish force and heat to the body without causing injury to any of its parts. That's what food is. We're told our bodies are made up of the food we eat. Those foods should be chosen that best supply the elements needed for the building up of the body. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and effect his inmost life. God does not communicate with our spirit, man. God communicates with our brain nerves. As God communicates with our brain nerves, it says whatever disturbs the circulation of the electric currents in the nervous system lessens the strength of the vital powers and the result is a deadening of the sensibilities of the mind. This is why whatever you eat and drink, you must make sure that it's going to put those brain nerves in a strong condition. When you think about the brain and the mind, you can look at the brain as hard drives and you can look at the mind as software. Now, you can have the best software in the world. If the hard drive is debilitated, brothers and sisters, your software, will it work? No, no it will not. So therefore, in like manner, the brain nerves is what we need to be very focused on when it comes to the body. When we're taking care of this human machinery that God has given to us, we are to think about what affects my brain nerves. Now, when we understand that, no godly child will be found at amusement parks where they're going on these roller coasters and all these things that shake the body up and sound and make you all dizzy and all these other things in the name of fun. You get that? Nobody who understands this will be found in these amusement parks and all these places because now they understand I got to do whatever it takes to keep my brain nerves in its healthiest condition. Do you get that? See how simple this is? Understanding physiology will teach you a lot. And therefore we understand that food equals blood. Blood equals the health of our brain. Our brain is where we get our thoughts. Our thoughts is where we get our actions. Our actions repeated is where we get our habits. Our habits is where we get our character. And our character determines our destiny. That's the connection 
between diet and salvation. The food that you eat gets broken down into blood. The blood is what feeds and causes the health of our brain. Our brain is where we get our thoughts. Our thoughts is where we get our actions. Our actions repeated is where we get our habits. Our habits is where we get our character, and our character determines our destiny. This is where you connect Christ Object Lesson 69. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then Jesus will come. This is what he's waiting for. And our eating and drinking habits affects that development of character. Are you following? All right. Therefore, the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink, and whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, let's bring this to a close. We are told that the subject of health reform has been presented in the churches, but the light has not been heartily received. There was a problem in 1900. There was people who was teaching all these beautiful things about health reform, but the problem is, is that it wasn't being accepted. People were rejecting it. Now, notice, it says, the selfish, health-destroying indulgences of men and women have counteracted the influence of the message that is to prepare people for the great day of God. What is this talking about? Notice this. Question. Should we be working to bring people into the church? Should we be doing that right now? Yes? Would you agree? We should, shouldn't we? The Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth. What? It says, the Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth. Why does God not now work to bring many souls into the truth? We're working to bring souls into the church. But here it is that it says, the Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth. Now, did you notice it said many? It didn't say any. Right? Why is it that God would say to the majority of the people, I'm going to hold you back from joining the church? Why? Look. Because of the church members who have never been converted and those who were once converted but who have backslidden. Can you imagine that our behavior literally can determine how many people come into the church? Our behavior. This is incredible. Look at what it says. What influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? Would they not make of no effect the God-given message which his people are to bear? I want you to think about that. The Lord actually says, I'm going to hold people back from joining the church because of all these things that are going on amongst my people. Now, here's my next question. What put the people in this condition? What is it that put the people in condition that they were either never converted or they were once converted but who have backslidden? What put the people in this condition in the first place? You ready to see it? Brothers and sisters, when you read further on in that chapter, volume 6, 371, when you read in that chapter, you will find that she says, their habits of eating and drinking. You see, we don't understand. It's only because of our ignorance. We don't understand how eating and drinking habits have a very direct effect on the brain nerves that ultimately affects the mind. 
When God wants to minister to our minds and speak truth to us, the condition of the brain nerves and the condition of the mind, it will tell how much of Jesus we will be able to understand, more importantly, apply in our lives. And this is the reason why God says that he wants us to get a check on appetite. Because he knows how it affects the brain nerves that affects the mind that affects the behavior. And so this is why God brings this out. And that's why God, he says, listen, I got an instrument that I want to use that will actually bring about revival and reformation amongst my people. And you want to know what the instrument God says he wants to use? It involves a lot of young people. To my ministering brethren, I would say prosecute this work with tact and ability. Set to work the young men and the young women in our churches. Combine two things. What are God telling us to combine? Combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. So look at what God is instructing us to do. Combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Do you see that? Yes. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm confused. God gives very specific instructions, but then we start adding things to it. We start adding things. And I'm like, where is that in God's counsel? Where is that in God's sanctuary message? Where do we see these things? Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Stop making false tests before God's people. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to get me by the grace of God. But my heart goes out to the several members of God's church that keep getting leavened by all of these different false tests and false teachings and things that we think are so foundational to our movement that all it takes is careful study and we will see it's not foundational at all. I'm serious, brothers and sisters. When, I'm really debating if I should even bring this up. You know, we family, right? I was told, do I believe I'm not going to do it. The only reason why I'm, no, the reason why I'm not going to do it is I don't want to unduly embarrass the person who said it to me. I'm not afraid of the position that I hold. It's not my issue. I'm not afraid of the position I hold. And the reason why I'm not afraid of the position I hold, brothers and sisters, is because I've always been prepared to be wrong. I believe it's been one of the saving virtues between myself and Jesus. If I'm wrong, I stand as the reformers have always stood. Show me my error. But I've seen thus far that people have not successfully showed it to me. And I'm not a dummy. I'm not going to sit down and let you give me some quotation from Sister White that you're not going to balance out with other quotations. 
William Miller is not my model. You can't find anything in the Bible or the spirit of prophecy that tells me that he's my model. William Miller believed things that were erroneous. William Miller believed things that were true. I take the truth of what William Miller taught and I leave behind the error that he taught. It's that simple. We have deified and have taken things and have practically equated other things that have been written to the Ten Commandments. And I, I got to tell you the truth, I'm a little floored. I'm just a little floored. When people try to come up to me and try to ask me if I believe in certain things and because I intelligently say I don't believe that, that they're going to walk away from me and tell me that I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist? You have no idea how much I wanted to jump on that. Say, oh, really? I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist? You sit down and let's talk. You see, my thing is stop being a coward and running away. Talk to me. Let's go ahead and let's study it out. Let's mash it out. Let's open the Word of God and let's see it. Because I'm going to tell you what right now, you are not a child of God if you go to your brother and say, do you believe this? And when the brother says, no, I don't, that you turn away and walk with them and then you say, you are not a seven-day Adventist and you walk away. You have no idea that how much the Spirit of God was void from your heart when you did that. You have no idea. And yet you claim to be following truth. And I'm supposed to see that Jesus told me by their fruit you shall know them. And I saw that fruit tonight. Your fruit testified that you don't believe. And it hurts me when I see how so much of God's people are being leavened by these erroneous doctrines. Brothers and sisters, as far as I'm concerned, at this point in time, I've read enough of it. I've looked at the lunar Sabbath. It's not true. It's just not true. And it's so funny because they always say the same thing. Ellen White said, new light. Ellen White said, new light. And I'm just like, listen, qualify her statements. She says in the same book on councils of writers and editors, she says that new light does not negate the old light. I believe in new light. I don't have a problem with new light. But it cannot cancel out the old light. Proverbs 4 and verse 18 says, The path of the just is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. It doesn't cancel out the previous light before it. It just brightens the light that was already there and makes it even more clear. But we got Lunar Sabbath. We have feast days. We have 2520. We have all of these different organizations, these different groups. And my simple thing is this. I'm like, look, brothers and sisters, here I stand on this. Please understand, here I stand on this. I need to see it in inspiration. Don't point things to me that don't specifically state what you're trying to specifically state. Ellen White endorsed the chart. Ellen White endorsed Daniel and Revelation. So we have two endorsements. Ellen White, under inspiration, endorsed the 1843 and 1850 chart. 
Ellen White, under inspiration, endorsed Daniel and Revelation. She said the book of Daniel and Revelation is God's helping hand. So we have endorsement, endorsement. Ellen White then says there was a mistake on the chart. The mistake, 1843, 1844. Ellen White infers, but the pioneers more forcefully showed there was a mistake in Daniel and Revelation. The king of the north in Daniel and Revelation was said to be Turkey. But the king of the north, in fact, was the papacy. So let's notice. 1843, 1850 chart, endorsed. Daniel and Revelation, endorsed. 1843 and 1850 chart, a mistake. Daniel and Revelation, a mistake. Are we still equal? It is said that because she did not address the 2520 on the chart, it must be true. That's poor thinking. But watch this. Because the 2520 was on the chart, and because she did not say, well, that was a mistake too, it is assumptive that it must be right, and that Ellen White endorsed it. But when I read page 784 of Daniel and Revelation that Ellen White said was God's helping hand, page 784 has a whole chapter showing that the 2520 was false. So does that mean that that's true? Do you understand how faulty that type of reasoning is? If you're going to say the 2520 is true because it remained on the chart and Ellen White didn't, didn't address it, then I guess Daniel and Revelation, when it had a whole chapter literally negating and refuting the 2520. And Ellen White never addressed it, so it must be true. Do you see that? And this is why I keep saying, just judge righteous judgment, man. The three angels' messages is void of lunar Sabbaths. It's void of feast days. It's void of 25. It's not in it. Why do we keep trying to inject it in there? Why do you keep trying to do it? I don't understand. I'm, I am literally confused. I'm just like, just show me straight. Don't give me this kooky stuff where people say, <gasps> you know, they, 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 they use Daniel and, and they say, many, many to kill you, farce, and they try to break that down and say, oh, that's the 2520 right there. Literally, there was a brother who went to a store and he gave the person the money and then the person was struggling with understanding the 2520 and all of a sudden somebody gave him back $25 and 20 cents. He said, it must be true. <laughs> Come on, saints. Come on, saints. How far do we take this thing? I guess I should say the 1335 message is a message of love because in John 1335, Jesus says, this is how people shall know you are to my disciples when you love one another. Do you see, do you see how far we can go when we start using this type of reasoning? My thing is this, look, believe what you want to believe, but don't get mad at me because I'm not some dummy that's going to sit down and accept what you say. I'm serious. Just, just don't do that. Don't get mad at me because I'm going to refuse to just bite into what you're saying. God has allowed my mind to be intelligent, and I'm going to think intelligently through anything that I believe. God is showing us what is going to finish this work. God says... Combine the medical missionary work 
with the proclamation of the third angel's message. This is God's instruction, brothers and sisters. Combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Notice what it says. It says, next, make regular organized effort to lift the churches out of the dead level into which they have fallen and have remained for years. Send into the churches workers who will set the principles of health reform in their connection with the third angel's message before every family and individual. Encourage all to take a part in work for their fellow men and see if the breath of life will not quickly return to these churches. God has given us a plainly stated solution. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Accept it for what it says. And by the grace of God, comply with it. God promises, brothers and sisters, if we just do what he said, just do what he said, don't do this far-reaching, trying to make doctrines out of stuff that's not real doctrines. Just do what he said. Amen. God says, my promise to you, the breath of life will come back into my dead churches. And so it is very simple. It's very simple. You want to see a revival and a reformation come? What are two things you're going to need to understand like you've never understood it before? What are the two things? It, once you answer this, we can pray and close. I can dismiss you. <laughs> what are the two things that we need to understand and put into faithful practice? Medical missionary work and proclamation of the third angel's message. You need to understand what is that third angel's message. What is it? You need to understand that. Then the second thing you need to understand, medical missionary work. Medical missionary work is not being a medical professional. I want to make that blazingly clear. Medical missionaries is not simply being a medical professional. Now let me show you why. In volume 7 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 62, it says we have come to a time that every member of the church... Every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. So how many members of the church are supposed to be medical missionaries? Every member. So if you are not a medical missionary, you know what you need to be. Now watch this. Outside of that, in the book Education, page 267, it specifically tells us God has not called everybody to be physicians. So obviously... Medical missionary work is not being a medical professional because God has not called everybody to be medical professionals, but God has certainly called everybody to be medical missionaries. We're thankful. It's beautiful when medical professionals take hold of medical missionary work, but you are not a medical missionary by default because you're a medical professional. I'm not here to take away anything from our medical professionals. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you for the services that you have provided in the order of God. But again, I am making it clear you are not a medical missionary just because you're a nurse. You are not a medical missionary just because you're a doctor. You're not. Medical missionary work, we are told, is the gospel in practice. So that means that every person who is a medical missionary needs to know how to make the gospel practical and minister to the whole man. And that's way beyond 
simply being a medical professional. So I want to make it clear that God has called all of you to understand medical missionary work. God has called all of you to understand that third angel's message. And it is through these two that you combine and bring together under the ministration of the Holy Spirit that God will empower you to go forward and to finish his work and the breath of life. By the way, when the breath of life comes back into a church, that sounds like revival. So you know what you need to do. So all you need to do is do it. We are in San Diego, brothers and sisters, because we believe that what we're training those students to be in San Diego is a finishing work. We are teaching them gospel ministry, medical missionary work, and the canvassing work because we are told through inspiration that those are God's agencies. My hope and my prayer is that each of you will take hold of it. Don't think that you have taken hold of it just because you are studying medicine. Studying medicine in the way that you're doing it right now is not, according to the curriculum, making you medical missionaries. Medical missionary work is something completely different. And you need to understand that. And by the grace of God, may the Lord help you. Brothers and sisters, Christ says, I want to finish this work. But he's waiting for a body that he can dwell in. And his church is his body that he wants to dwell in. And so, brothers and sisters, my question is very simple. How many of you are willing to take on what God has said? You don't have to add to it. You don't need to take away from it. How many of you are willing to do what God has said? And you're going to take hold of medical missionary work. And you're going to understand that third angel's message like you never have before. And you're going to let the Spirit of God show you how to combine the two that you may go forward and finish the work in this generation. If that's your desire, would you please stand to your feet? You're standing to your feet. You're making a commitment to God, not to man. And my hope and my prayer is that as you stand, know that Christ stands with you. He will give you strength. He'll give you power. Stay focused. We have already been told that every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Stay focused. Stick to what inspiration clearly says. Don't add to it. Don't take away. Deal with what inspiration clearly says. Stay focused. Let's finish this work. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have blessed all of us to come together. We thank you, dear God, that you have given us the privilege to study your words and to share them. And Lord, I pray that you will Help us to understand all the several other layers that brings about true revival and reformation. Lord, I ask that by your grace and power, may you give us wisdom. And Lord, I ask that you will please minister to our hearts and help us to really understand what it is to embrace medical missionary work and to understand this third angel's message. I ask you for all these things, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. 
That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.